Welcome to MSP Mindset with Damian Stevens, where we have real, no BS conversations with real MSPs who have real struggles. We dive into all things business, including marketing, culture, work-life balance, and more, all to help you grow your business, think differently, and get out of your comfort zone. Hey, what's up, guys? This is MSP Mindset, and I am your host, Damian Stevens. On this episode of MSP Mindset, I'm happy to be talking to Alex Farling. Alex is the partner and community lead at Lifecycle Insights. He has been in the MSP industry for over 20 years. So if he's like me, he's done a lot of crazy things as an MSP and not all of them good. And uh, so he has no idea. I'm totally making up his bio now. And now he helps MSPs enhance their efficiency and lifecycle management, uh, improving effectiveness of VCIOs and account managers with data-driven strategies for client success. He's an active investor in channel startups, assisting with their go-to-market strategy, and enjoy spending time with his fiance Jess and his dog Thor. So, without further ado, welcome, Alex. How we doing? Awesome. Thank you for making the time to be here. I know you were you've been busy at a lot of conferences. You've been busy getting acquired. You got yeah. all kinds of interesting things going on. Congratulations. Life's been, uh, life's been traveling fast. I'll say that. <laughs> Yeah, I appreciate you making time. No, um, absolutely, absolutely. So we're going to, just to kind of set the tone for everybody, we're going to get into sales. How do you actually sell without feeling like you're giving up your soul? How do you make that work? What does that look like? The real struggles. We're going we're gonna to have some real talk here. So stay tuned for that stuff. Before we get into that, tell us a little bit about your MSP, how you started, when you started, and your overnight success. Yeah, so... There. Um, it's funny. I actually started because I got laid off, um, which I'm sure isn't an uncommon story for a lot of folks in the channel, right? But somehow, somehow I find myself at this place where I need a real job. And uh, so I was, I was at a call center at a little company called Client Logic. Um, I was the lead corporate trainer. And my responsibility was to teach the staff that was answering the phone saying, thank you for calling Dell Technical Support. This is Bob. How can I help you? Uh, we did Dimension and Optiplex support out of Dover, Delaware, in the middle of nowhere. You know, we had uh, about 2,000 people on the phone. And, uh, and one day I got called down to Human Resources. And they said, uh, we've, lost, we've lost the contract. This is all being shifted to India. Obviously, if we have no more new hires coming in, training is the first thing to go. As we wind down the contract, unfortunately, everybody in, the, in this contract will lose their job. So I walked out the door kind of frustrated and um, I walked yeah. into a little break fix shop in town where my mother and they were a weird little, um, you know, little combination. They did some break fix. They, they were actually the company was called Secure Data. And their original business model was, um, you know, before broadband, they would run around and take your backup tapes off site for you and swap them out and do all this. But so they were yeah. secure data, but they wound up doing some AS400 and custom programming. Uh, they had a break fix shop and, uh, and a little bit of commercial support. And I walked in and my mother was an AS400 programmer there at the time. And I said, you'll never believe what happened to me today. And, uh, and the owner comes over and he says, did I hear right that you're looking for a job? Said, yeah. And he says, well, I'd like to retire. So why don't you take my job? And he just put his keys on the counter and walked away. Um, so I had a job. I, had, I was running a, a small business and, and I was totally unqualified. Um, it, was a, it was a hell of a 90 days. And 90 days in, I realized that, uh, that I was never going to get along with his daughter um, we were just theoretically the most opposite people on the planet. And I called him in and sat down with him and his business partner and said, thank you so much for the opportunity, but blood's thicker than water. You guys have supported me in every, in every difference of opinion, but one day, um, I'll come out on the wrong side of that. And that's not fair to you. It's not fair to me. We know it. So we should just part ways in a, in a, uh, you know, in a good fashion right here. Um, I had a non-compete. So I spent two years, uh, managing a radio shack and filling vending machines. And, um, after that, uh, just miraculously at about two years. So, of from, month, so from um, CEO to yeah. stocking vending machines, stocking vending machines. Yeah. Cause there I mean, you got to pay the bill somehow. Yeah. Um, and then um, I, I met a guy who had a little tiny break fix shop who was closing it. He, he had a contract to work three days a week at the local Procter and Gamber Procter and Gamble uh, site. And it was a contract through HP. HP was going to write him a check, bring him on full time. And so he didn't have the time to run the office and he was going to close it. Um, so I gave him $12,000. I bought a little tiny hole in the wall shop that had one commercial customer and a bunch of break fix clients. And, uh, and that's it. Like that's the, 
that's the story. Like we started as a little break fix shop. 2008 came around. We bought this thing called Lab Tech from a bunch of guys in a basement in Ohio. And uh, all of a sudden we were a managed service provider and we had to figure out what that meant and how to do it. And we made every mistake along the way that, uh, that everybody listening to this today uh, could possibly make. Yeah. So talk about that for a second, right? There's, I think there's a few people still making the transition, but uh, the break fix to managed services, whenever you chose that wasn't for, it wasn't for me an easy transition. Um, what was the time period where you all break fix? Did you have a few contracts? Like, tell me how that. Um, we had maybe five or seven commercial customers. It wasn't a lot. Um, we were still kind of, we were still that mom and pop break fix shop. Um, but our biggest customer in 2008 said, we're going to lose a bunch of, uh, corporate funding and, or a bunch of, uh, nonprofit funding. And we're going to have to figure out what to do, but we've got to contain cost. And they were scattered all over the state of Delaware. And I, you know, like a genius, I went, Hey, if we buy this fancy expensive software, we won't have to roll trucks. And we can contain costs that way. So like an idiot, I added up their bills for the last 12 months. I divided it by the number of computers they had. And I said, this is what you're going to pay per machine for managed services. Full managed services will do it all. And, you know, we signed up our first managed services customer at $44 an endpoint per month and, uh, and fought for a decade to, to unscrew that, uh, that contract. But we did something right. They were still with us when we sold the company. So There you go. So you eventually got away from the cost plus. Pricing model. Yeah. Um, we uh, s- slowly over time, I, honestly, it was Chartech that helped us figure that out, right? I went out to, to Chartech and uh, Alex Rogers, amazing sales coach, right? Just a, a, an amazingly uh, talented speaker. But at the end of the day, he has a way of cutting through the BS and telling you you're dumb and, and convincing you that there's a better way. And, and they really did. They helped us figure out, one, how to sell managed services. And I've been in sales my whole life, but selling managed services is different. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then, uh, you know, they taught us how to price and package managed services, which is probably the most common webinar you see today. Um, everybody should have it figured out by now because there's 4,000 renditions of it on the Internet. But it was the thing that really turned us around. Right. So how, how do you do that? If I'm struggling with sales, how do you do how do you sell managed service, how you package and price it? But I guess more specifically, how do you, I think most of the folks I talk to, right, they fail to ever get a sales team. We, we can come back to that part, but just we, what's yeah, your we advice in the early part. struggles? Um, yeah. You know, the how early struggle is, yeah, well, the early struggle is I'm a tech nerd and I don't understand finances, right? I'm a guy mm-hmm. who enjoyed playing with cool stuff. I was just showing you my fancy new split keyboard, right? As we're, as we're logging on to this, and, yeah, you know, yeah. I've got a, a stream deck over here where I can push buttons and it does cool stuff for me. But at the end of the day, we got a lot, a lot of us got into this just because we enjoyed cool stuff and fixing people's problems. Um, then there's this thing called a PL and a balance sheet and finances. We don't even understand how they work. So pricing and packaging starts with knowing what it costs you to deliver service. And right. backing into the profit margin that you want to have. Mm-hmm. Um, we did it the other way around. We kind of tried to figure out what the market might be able to bear and then tried to figure out what we could deliver for that price. Um, terrible model. doesn't differentiate you from anybody else. Um, it makes you look, sound, and feel just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. So it was a pretty pretty big failure on our part, but I think we were par for the course at that point. You know, In 2008, we still had to go to every customer and explain to them what managed services is. Today, they say like 97 percent of managed services contracts are takeovers from another MSP. So that is that that's changed a lot. You, you don't have to start at zero with education. Um, today, I think it's a little different and you have to start with risk and exposure and let your customer know what what kind of landmines live in their business today and what, what, what life would look like if something were to happen without being the doom and gloom gross sales guy who's, who's in here saying, well, it's going to cost you $27,000 a minute while you're down or you know, whatever gross statistic you can come up with to try and convince your customer that, uh, that they need you. So how do you sell without being that guy? Without being gross? Sleazy? Yeah. 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 Um, I, I was just talking about this at MSP GeekCon, and I did a 45-minute session on it. And my number one rule in sales is if, if, if it sounds gross, don't say it. Um, a lot of folks are really afraid of sales. Um, I'm going to say sales is just like every other process in your MSP business. And I liken it to, to PC desktop imaging, right? Um, we deploy an image of a machine and if it works the first time we get a windows desktop without a blue screen, we call it a success. Um, in my sales process, I look at it the same way, right? If we lay out and, and design a process and the first thing we do leads to a closed deal, great. We win. That's, that's awesome. 
but we should go back through that sales process and figure out what could we have done better. And when I liken it to, to imaging, it's, hey, could we write a script that installs my RMM agent? And we go through and do it again, and now we install the RMM agent. Um, can I write a script that installs Office and Adobe Reader and a couple other things? And we go through and we do it, and, and we get a blue screen. Well, that's our that blue screen is your customer saying, wait a minute, I have an objection. I'm not going to do business with you. I, I don't feel like you've solved for this, right? Mm-hmm. And what do we do when we get a blue screen? Well, we go back and pick our script apart and figure out what we did wrong and never do that again. And we go figure out what we did right, and we do those parts again and and tweak the part we did wrong. When sales, when we when we get a blue screen, right? When somebody says no, we go, <laughs> I suck at sales. It's black magic. I can't do this. I'm going to have to hire a sales team, right? Exactly. Um, instead of going back and saying, okay, how long through that conversation did I have the customer? Where did I lose them? Maybe those are words I should never use again, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe that's something that that didn't land well, that didn't sit well. I should I should never do that again. And I think as MSPs. Number one, we don't feel prepared to come back from a sale and pick it apart and figure out what went right and wrong. We don't have a partner to do that with. We don't have a sales coach. We don't have necessarily, especially as we're small, we don't have the team to do that with. Um, my peer group was great for that. I had a sales coach. I had multiple sales coaches over, over my career, and they were all good for that. It, it's something super important that we forget to do. And even from your wins, you have to go back and say, what did I do right? Because I need to do that again. And if you don't document it, and you're like the typical MSP that gets 8, 10, 12, 20 leads a year. You know, Tom Brady didn't get good throwing a football 20 times a year. Right. He got good throwing a football every single day. So if it's something you're only going to do 8, 10, 12, 20 times a year, you have to document it. You have to have a process and you have to stick to it or you're going to fail. That's the, that's the expectation. So in my mind, it all goes back to process. You've got to build one that works for you. Um, you've got to not be afraid to tear it apart. You've got to not be afraid to, after a sale, sit down with a prospect or a customer or your now customer and have the conversation about what could we have done better in the sales process? Where could, where could I have improved? I really like, would like to do better by the next guy. Um, a good customer will see that you know, value in your business and that value in helping you and will help you move forward. Um, the harder part is calling the guy who told you no and saying, hey, yes. where, where was our miss? Where did we screw up? Um, in my mind, sales is about humility. It's about being able to go sit in front of your, your prospect and say, Hey, we may not get it right every time, but I promise you, if we don't get it right, we'll fix it. And yeah. you know, not everybody can say that. Right. What do you recommend? So obviously we all think about the nose. Those are the ones we go, we suck. You know, why am I in sales? So what do you, what do you recommend? Call them up and say, where did I go wrong? I mean, give, tell me, tell me more about that. Yeah. I think that at some point you, your customer, when you get to know, hopefully you got to know and didn't just get ghosted, right? Right. Um, if you got one. as far as getting a no, um, then you end up going back to this, you know, this prospect and saying, "Hey, I, you know, I appreciate that you gave me the opportunity. Um, obviously, I'm a professional, and I'd like to do better by the next go round or the or the next go round. Obviously, I'd like for you to consider me uh, again in the future if the opportunity presents itself." What did you need to hear from me that you didn't, or what did we do that that uh, that didn't land? Um, what was it about the other provider that you chose them over us? Um, if it's cost, then it's cost, and we have to talk about how to address that. If it's something else, maybe we have a, a missing service offering. Maybe they were looking for somebody niche in their industry. Um, maybe there was just a better sales guy. Hmm. Right. Maybe it's somebody went last and got to pick our sales pitch apart. Right. 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 In the sales process, somebody always has to go first and somebody always gets to go last. Um it, it's it, and there are ways to deal with each of those, um, but but they're challenging, and it, it's not easy your first go round to figure out how to deal with a, a prospect who says to you, um, you know, there's going to be we're, we're looking at three providers and, and we're going to call them all in, right? As a as a rookie salesperson, it's hard to say, well, you know, you're going to get three totally different stories, you're going to get three totally different answers to to what your problems are, mm-hmm. and all I would ask of you is that if you bring me in first. You give me the opportunity to come back and clear up anything, any questions that came along in the rest of the sales process. Um, and if you bring me in last, um, you do me the favor of just showing me the things that were um, potentially amazing or really excited you about another provider so that we can make sure that we talk to those and the things that made you nervous about the other provider so we can make sure that we talk to those because we really want to make sure that we give you a complete understanding of this stuff that is um, very interesting and, and different and complicated. Um, and as a business owner, we want to make sure you completely understand that there's no questions in this process. And just by being straight up and upfront like that, you'd be surprised how many folks will open up and tell you. I mean, I've had prospects come to me and say, all right, I let you go last because you asked to go last. Here's the other two quotes. 
and they'll have the prices <laughs> blacked out, but they'll show me exactly what the other person is doing. Um, and you'd be surprised just by asking how much of that you can get. And notice I never asked and said, will you show me the quote? But right. I said, you know, let's make sure we talk about anything that you have questions on. Well, they're going to pull it right out. They're going to circle the thing they have questions on and go, explain this to me. What is a BCDR, right? Um, Absolutely. And those kind of conversations really set you up for success. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny what you say. It's not rocket science. You just have to ask the questions. And you um, have to ask it me. without sounding gross, right? What sounds, what sounds worse? If I go, Dar- uh, Damien, what's your budget? Right? To me, that sounds terrible. I could never say that. But yeah. if we're having a conversation and you say to me, here's where it hurts. And I say, Damien, I've seen customers your size with similar problems. And in my experience, it takes four to $5,000 a month to really take them from where they're at today to fixed. Is that in the ballpark of what you're spending today? Or is it out of, you know, out of the scope of reality for what it would take to put you in a better place? Mm-hmm. Now they're going to tell me what they spend today. And they're going to tell me whether or not they can swallow the number that I just gave them. And I didn't have to say, Damien, what's your budget? Right. So it goes right. back to if there's this thing you say in your sales pitch that feels gross, go back to the drawing board and figure out how to say it in a way that's not gross. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. So let's talk a little bit more about the early challenges, right? You're going to get a lot of no's. So now we've got some good questions to ask for the no's. What else, you know, was you're building your MSP, some of your early struggles? Well, yeah. Um, as a sales guy, you might get that salespeople are like herding cats. Mm-hmm. Um, I was absolutely ADHD. Totally undiagnosed as a kid, absolutely ADHD. Uh, my team used to joke that I was the seagull and I would fly in the office and shut all over everybody's desk and leave. And what they meant was you'd come back with a sales proposal. You'd go, hey, we signed this. We want it. Deliver it and run back out the door and go do something else. And they used to joke that they had to keep me occupied or I would go start trouble. Um, and we bought a cell phone store in 2007 thinking that, you know, mobile mobile ta- tablets and mobile data and this was going to be the, the next big thing, right? And uh, we bought it and 2008 rolled around and the store went from making $10,000 a month uh, on this little tiny street corner. 10,000 a month in profits to, uh, to be an upside down by a couple thousand dollars a month. We wound up closing it about uh, seven months after we bought it. Um, so, you know, they used to joke that we have to keep you busy to, um, to not get us in trouble. Um, my biggest problem was time management and fighting my own demons, which I think mm. most MSPs have that struggle. Theirs might be the opposite. It might be that they're the amazing engineer who has to find a way to peel themselves away to manage the sales process or do the back office stuff. Um, but we all have that problem. And, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a demon you got to fight with. You are the demon you have to fight with. Right. Yeah. Tell me about some of those demons. Well, you know, like I said, FOMO. Yeah. Yeah. And, and FOMO is a big one for me. Right. I I see it even now that I'm on the vendor side. Um, somebody said last week, there's 300 events in the vendor space this year, which is more than I thought I would have guessed 200, but, um, I, I did 10 or so in Q1. And I still, every time I got home, I was like, there's photos of people at an event I'm not at. I'm looking through my phone and I'm like, crap, they look like they're having so much fun. And just this week, I'm like, they're like, where are you going to be next? Oh, PAX 8, you know, I'll be here and here and here and here. We're going to do this thing in Vegas. We're going to do all this. Like, are you going to be at IT Nation Secure? And I'm like, no. <laughs> right? And, and you, you want to be everywhere. Um, as, as IT guys, I think maybe it's a little different for some of them. It's they want to play with everything. They want to have right. a deep understanding of everything. You know, my service desk manager would have spent 50 hours a week just learning new toys and new things and deploying them to our customers um, and never would have worried about any of the, uh, you know, KPIs and metrics that mean the service desk is operating and service delivery standards and those kind of things. He would have been buried in the tech. Um, so he had to fight that demon. Um, I think we all have them. Yeah. You know, one of my, one of my biggest ones is imposter syndrome to this day. I had it yeah. in my MSP. I sold my MSP because I was afraid that as a sales guy, I wasn't smart enough to know if we got breached or if we were even set up to not be breached, right? Cybersecurity started getting scary. Uh, 2020 was, you know, kind of almost a peak of of cyber craziness where the tools weren't necessarily ready, but the bad guys were. And, um, you know, I sold my MSP because I wasn't sleeping at night. I was freaked out. Uh, so for the guys that still do it, you know, I have a ton of, of, uh, I'm impressed. I, I admire them. I will support them till the end of days. But that little bit of imposter syndrome had me going, we, I don't think we do any of this right. Yeah. Um, yeah. We sold it to a company 10 times bigger than us and compared their processes to ours. I went, oh, we were better than we thought. <laughs> um, but 
you know, you figure that out after the check signed and you're on your way out the door. So, um, you know, but, but I've always had a little bit of that imposter syndrome. You know, why would, why would folks listen to some dumb little sales guy from Maryland or from Delaware and now Maryland, um, stand up on stage and talk about sales. Right. When they do, yeah. I get we've all a got ton that of feedback. And yeah, well, I think if you don't, um, maybe you should take an extra look in the mirror. Right. Yeah. Maybe there's, you, you may, you may have an ego problem that blinds you to other things in your business. That's right. That's right. Um, we were talking backstage, talking about things that uh, drive fear about uh, backup. And uh, I think you had an interesting story to share. Yeah, yeah, we were. Um, so I had a, I had a customer who was a vet. I know I, I, we had a couple of vets as clients, but one of them, um, we went and as we were growing up and maturing as a business, of course, we brought in a real BDR platform with an on-site appliance and, you know, rapid spin up of a VM for a, for a server that was down and things like that. And we go to this vet and we go, Hey, look, your whole business relies on this VM VMware instance or this, this virtual machine, uh, RDP cluster. And, uh, if the DC goes down or if the RDP gateway goes down, like you're, you're out of business for a bit and we'd like to get you on this more robust and more mature backup platform. Every one of my customers bought it except this guy. And he said, mm. you know, I, and he was probably the, uh, he was the cheapest customer we had. He just wouldn't spend any money on anything. And he says, uh, we've all you know, got you know, at least he's, one of this. Yeah. yeah we've all got him. Everybody, yeah, everybody out there listening is like, there's a picture in their head. They're like, Oh, this is, this is Tom. Yeah. This is Bill. I can picture like, that guy. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So, but this guy says to me, you know, we don't, I don't like monthly bills. Like you're already charging me enough for backups. I mean, we're not doing it. So I, right. I drafted a two page document that explained all the things that were going to go wrong if his server went down, what the downtime would look like. Didn't talk about the cost to his business because it's his business. He should understand that. Um, but, but laid out that it would be days before they could take another patient and, uh, and that there would be significant downtime. And when they finally had their, their hardware failure. Um, they had a, they had a power surge that went through and fried a battery backup and fried the server, um, fried a bunch of equipment in the office, but the thin clients were easy to replace. Um, the server was down for three days and we had to restore from file level backups and we had to rebuild a domain and we had to rebuild RDS and we had to rebuild the gateway. Um, when it was all over. Three days is pretty good for that. Yeah. <laughs> for that well, I mean, we, we didn't sleep, but, yeah. um, when it was all over, he fired us. And on the call, I said, Chris, do you remember when we dealt? In fact, I'm going to email you all the documentation. He right. Says, I, get it. I remember the documentation. He says, I got it right in front of me. But we were down for three days and somebody has to pay for that. Uh. So you're fired anyway. And that was for me kind of an eye opener to say, you know what? We can't let customers dictate our standards to us because up to that point, we had been naive and said, oh, we covered our ass with paperwork. We'll be okay. Um, and you know, you get fired from that customer. Are you really going to go argue with him about, your, about his contract, but you're under contract. You can't go away. Right. You're <laughs> under contract for six more months. You can right. scream at me for six months and hate me for six months before you quit then. Uh, yeah. no, you're not going to do that. Right. That's, that's stupid. Um, right. so we let him go, but we certainly tightened our standards for the rest of our customers. And as we started to roll more and more security products, um, they very quickly went from optional to required. And mm -hmm. we had conversations about what a healthy stack looks like and, and what it really looked like to have complete coverage. And that's really the thing that led me to Lifecycle Insights in a, in a real roundabout way, because it's where we started to do white space analysis and, and these risk assessments and really sit down with our customer and say, here's the risk you own in your business. And if you change nothing, that's what you have to, you have to live with. And then they went, well, what's it going to cost me to change things? And I went, oh, got to build a budget spreadsheet for days, right? Trying to figure all this out. We'd deliver them the spreadsheet and then it was incomplete or it didn't flex the way they wanted it. We delivered a calendar year and they wanted a fiscal year and it was just miserable, right? And I went, there's got to be a better way. So we built Lifecycle Insights to solve for who and what do I support? What risk do they have? And what's it going to cost to maintain the status quo or do better? And it was that feeling that I should, this should be, you know, click button, get report. It, it shouldn't be that hard. And so that's kind of, uh, Kind of how we how we came to the to the idea of of what is today lifecycle insights. That's awesome. Was that well, we knew we had to standardize. We knew we had to you know make the, the gaps glaringly obvious and get our customers not to say, mm, "Well, a few bucks." I'm not really into that. Right. Yeah. Well, and if it's too hard, it won't get done. Right. So if it's yeah. too much work on your teams and weeks, like you said, in spreadsheets. So so speaking of risk and things that don't always get done, this show is brought to you by Servocity Safe. 
what I say is there's only two things that we do really differently. Number one is we manage your backups. Why does that matter? That means you can focus on what your team does best. It's probably not babysitting backups and probably not what they want to do. Secondly, we do testing daily, weekly, monthly, and quarterly. Built in for you, non-negotiable, built in. So I know maybe you've got a couple clients you test. This is so you can have every single client tested because they're not paying for backup. They're paying for recovery. They're going to expect you to be able to recover them. And I was an MSP who lost data because I didn't have the time to actually get around to testing backups. I didn't have the process and didn't have the people. So if any of that's interesting, visit servacity.com slash deep dive. We'll dig in a little more, have a chat with me and a couple of folks on my team. I even give away a process that you can steal that will allow you to build your own process. So kind of win-win. You can hire us to take care of the heavy lifting or take my process I've built over the last 18 years and just use the tooling you have now to make sure you don't end up in a spot where the risk is too much and you were unable to recover. Boy, I set you up easy for that one, didn't I? Here's my (laughs) shit story. (laughs) We've all got got them. them, Right. You you haven't been in this business. If you haven't lost somebody's data, it happens. That's Um, right. Like, and you know, you know that, but I didn't as another MSP. And so I, uh, we were very fortunate. It's early days before it was MSP and we, we were very fortunate and blessed to grow. And one year we went from four to 17, not clients, but employees. And so that was crazy growth. And that was the good part. The bad part is it was chaos. Uh, We didn't have enough process and we didn't have enough leadership. We didn't have enough of most everything. And for those reasons, I kept the backups to myself. I'm going to manage these. And I had competent techs that could have, but I chose to. And even I was using the best of breed tooling, like you said, the name brand BDR, all those sort of things. I thought successful backup emails and little green dots meant I could recover. And yeah. when my when biggest client crashed and, you know, five servers back when they were physical down said, I need you to recover. I thought this will be a long night, but we'll get you up and running. And I couldn't, you know, the, the data was not recoverable. And that's when I learned there's so many ways. And it's not your BDR vendor's responsibility that you have to put in process to to actually test things, verify things in, in multiple levels. And so uh, that just being direct, like you're talking about the demons you have, that kind of wrote on the slate of who I was. I was like, I'm a horrible failure. I'm a horrible human. How could I let them down when I, I told them I would be able to do it? Like you were saying, you sold your business because of all the concerns of cybersecurity. Like I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. And uh, I started talking to other MSPs. You know, like you said, Alex, I wasn't the only one. I thought I was the only one that was that dumb and ended up with data loss. <laughs> Turns out, oh, I unfortunately, cool. have a that's lot of a good friends. Opinion. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. We were all that dumb. We all, and, and all it takes is one process screw up, right? Yeah. Um, you know, one, hey, we, we were looking for success emails but we or failure emails, but we weren't looking for lack of an email. Yes, exactly. It happened to all of us, right? Um, <clears throat> we had a customer that when we took them on, um, we went in and checked their backups because we were pretty pretty hardcore about it after that. And we went in yeah. and checked their backups. I said, no problem. And we got, we, we got it. And they were on tape backup uh, still. And I went, you know, this is antiquated, but let's go see how it's doing. Right? And they said, well, we change the tape every day. Okay, who does that? Oh, I think, um, I think so-and-so does it in the morning when they make coffee. Okay, well... It's Friday and Tuesday's tapes in there. Let's see what's on it. And then we go back and look at the tape and it was Tuesday from like eight months ago. Mm-hmm. And they hadn't had a backup in eight months. Yeah. I, uh, I kid you not. I just talked to an MSP who um, they were saying, well, you know, we kind of told our clients to pay attention to those backup emails and let us know if we needed to do anything, which is even worse. I thought than anything, you know, the most I'd heard. And so then they looked and the last backup was like 2021, you know, and I was like, are you kidding me? Like your customer has nothing else to do. Right. Exactly. And yeah, Yeah. no, this gets into the literal, like you have one job. 
Um, but really yes. our job is to standardize that tool set and figure out how our standardized tool set, whether it's, you know, your favorite products or my favorite products. I always joke, whether it's your firewall of religion or mine, um, yeah. we have to figure out that not only do we have the right physical tool in place, right? The hardware, the software, the whatever, but do we have the checks and balances and the monitoring and the thing that lets us know that things are in the state that we left them in and they're continuing to behave well. Um, it plays to, you know, Lion Guard and their, um, um, change control and change monitoring. It plays to backup monitoring and you know, a tool that, that ScalePad who acquired us has like backup radar and being able to see all your backups in one place. If you're using one yeah. product for servers and one for cloud and one for email retention and other things, right? We, you know, we wind up with a bunch of tools mm -hmm. and a bunch of, a bunch of single panes of glass that, yeah. uh, that, that make this hard to, hard to see. So and it's really are. about, well, yeah. And the danger in not having everybody on your stack is that now you've created blind spots for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we all like to say we're all on. And when I talk to most, there's the occasional MSP that is 100%, but I still get a lot of them. They're like, no, we're all on one. I mean, except for this 20% of our customers. You know, and I'm like, well, is it, are those important? Uh, you know, could they could they ruin your reputation? <laughs> that's that's they, why that's important customers. We just, right. yeah, we just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every once in a while, I come across an MSP. I don't need to make payroll. That's what that is. Right, yeah. What are those optional? Uh, yeah. What are your thoughts? I come across MSPs that say, no, they turned down the backup or the cybersecurity and I had them sign a form. So I'm good. Yeah. I had one sign that form and I got fired anyway. Yeah. Um, if you really believe, which if you don't, you probably should exit the industry. Um, but if you really believe that we're in a, uh, an assumed breach mentality, that your customer will get breached eventually. And it's about containment and restoration, which I really think is the, the world we're in, right? We know that they're going to click on an email they shouldn't and have a business email compromise. We know that they're going to do something else wrong. Um, we know that shit happens, right? Mm -hmm. um, eventually, you're going to wind up with a customer who's had a data loss or had a breach or had something go wrong. If we haven't figured out how to contain that and make an impact the tiniest part of the business possible and had plans for how to get this customer back up and running and make sure that their downtime and their loss is minimal, this is just an opportunity for you to lose customers. And yeah. it's not if, it's when, right? When they have the problem, if we've only got them on half our stack and let's say I didn't sell them my security stack and now somebody gets in the system, now they can sprawl across the system far and wide because there's no security there to stop them. Um, we're in real trouble. I heard a guy from Sophos say, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's about a minute right now for them to detect someone in the network. Um, in, in most cases, it averages about a minute. Now I know there's dwell time of months and such. This is their marketing stat and it's probably trash. But they say they can stop a lot of these folks from making their first hop within five minutes, right? They're, they're actually deploying something to stop them in five minutes. Well, if you're asleep, even if you have the right tools and they're alerting you, if you're asleep at home, the difference between five minutes and five, six, seven, ten hours is, is the difference in losing your customer or not. Yeah. And your yeah. customer may be losing a big chunk of their business or not. Right. So not a fan of signing the form that's... This, that, that's not going to help you sleep. I mean, it might help you sleep at night, but you're still, they're still going to fire you, right? You're, you're they're, they're you, still you going to fire you. Um, and, and ultimately we sign the form because it's easy, right? Mm -hmm. It's easy to go, Mr. Customer, this is your obligation. This is your requirement. I'm not saying you shouldn't have them sign the form. I'm saying you shouldn't accept that as the final answer. What right? should you do? Well, so as a, as somebody who built a product for VCIOs and account managers, every time we have a strategic business review of some kind, we are QBR, if you want to call it that, anytime we meet with the client and have any conversation over strategy, recommendations, things that are upcoming, we not only review the recommendations that are you know, new and coming up in the future, we review declined recommendations and we hammer it home one more time. And nice. I put those recommendations out across from the budget and say, I see a point in the budget where your budget is up here and it goes down a little bit. This would be the great time for you to fix that problem. Can we finally take care of that and take it off the plate? Um, you know, and I think that every MSB should have some minimum requirements that are just deal breakers, right? MFA, backups, EDR. Um, yeah. You know, there are some things that should just be deal breakers at this point. But even the things that aren't, if it's part of your standard stack, keep that list of declined recommendations in front of your customer. Don't just remind them, that they said no, remind them of the impact, remind them of uh, why you recommend that product or service, remind them of what's going to happen to their business in a, in a downtime um, if they if they don't restore or use that product or service and how that product or service kind of protects them. Um, we don't have to be scary, but we have to be honest. Mr. Customer, you know, 
the risk that you own if that thing over there in the corner goes down is that nobody has access to that system for two, three, four days. What happens to the business? What happens to Bob who uses that every day? What happens to Sue who you know can't do her monthly reports without it? What happens to, and, and just let them unpack it themselves, but put it in front of them on a regular basis. And if you have to go back a second or a third time, um, have you talked to Bob about our conversation last time? Like, is he gonna be okay doing all that in a spreadsheet? Um, I doubt he ever gets to go home that week. Um, you know, what about these other people that use it? How is their business going to continue? Did you have that conversation with them? Um, you know, Mr. Decision Maker, it's really, when we're talking about the grand scheme of things, um, this really isn't that much money. Yeah. And, we yeah, and there may be a way to have, have, uh, some version of it, or for example, sometimes we'll have, I've had, t- talked to a lot of MSPs are like, well, try to tell my customer they should have this across the board. And then when they evolve a little bit more, sometimes they're like, oh, well, they were totally down. And it turns out if they just had access to run payroll, that one machine would, it would have been a lot better than since they didn't have access to any of the records and they couldn't run payroll. Because there's, there's, there's not too many things, you know, how patient is the whole company going to be when you're missing payroll? Right. Well, or like, you know, we had a Catholic school that we argued with about a door access control system. And they didn't want to spend 20 grand for the, you know, Windows 10 version of the door access control system. And, you know, it's on an old Optiplex chilling in a corner. Mr. Customer, when that blows up, then it will. And one Saturday it blew up. And they had, I don't know, all kinds of parent stuff in the, in the auditorium that day. And they couldn't control the doors. And somebody had to stand there and hold the door open from the inside because their automated system wouldn't automatically unlock the door. And they're like, we had to have somebody stand out there for four hours. Well, now is it serious? Let's let's talk about that. And all of a sudden, they were willing to spend the money. Um, yeah. But it shouldn't come to that. We should be better at having these conversations early. We should think about those things. And I should have been able to go to that, those folks and say, well, what happens if door access control stops working on a Saturday, on on uh, graduation Saturday, right? Uh, what does of that course. turn into for you? Um, and we don't have to doom and gloom paint a scenario. We just need to ask them, what happens? You can be okay when they answer you. Uh, you know, give them another, like, well, what if, well, what happens if, how does this work really work out? What's the end ramification? Do you think your employees are going to enjoy staying there for four hours in the heat on a Saturday, holding the door open? Okay, cool. We're good. You know, right. or, right. you know, can we fit that in the budget somewhere? Do we need to talk about leasing? Do we need to talk about financing? What is it that we can do to make this more palatable? What we found though, is that the, having a budget forecast for your customer is the most powerful sales tool we can deliver. Um, it really turns into one of those things where in many cases our client won't buy, not because we came to them and said, knock, knock, I need money. But um, what it comes down to is they don't want to say yes, because they don't know when we're going to come back and say, knock, knock, I need money again. Mm. And so the budget takes away this, um, yeah. this future nebulous thing where, you know, Maybe they could afford to write me a 20 grand check today, but they're not sure when I'm going to come back and go, oh, Windows 11 is coming and all the 10s need to be replaced. Server 2012 is coming and all that needs to be replaced. And they're so used to these IT guys that are just not, not giving me money um, that when we take some of that surprise away and they can forecast and they can plan, our clients who do that get such a higher close rate with their existing customers on, on, on projects and upgrades and new, new products and services. It's, it's insane how much that budget just kind of unlocks the, the, the piggy bank to get those deals closed for you. So how do you do that? What, what do you recommend? Uh, if you're not doing that now, what, what are the Yeah, I mean, steps? there's nothing we do in Lifecycle Insights you can't do in a spreadsheet, but we built a tool because it's faster and easier and it automates it. But I recommend sitting down with your customer and just having the conversation about expenses. What is your fiscal year? Would you like to see your budget quarterly or monthly? Um, we recommend showing your client a monthly budget and a five-year budget. The five-year budget is long-term. It is wide-angle guess. And it's, hey, let's look for the bad year, right? Everybody brought all new equipment in 2020 and 2021 with COVID. Um, All that equipment's going to go end of life in 2024 and 2025. There's going to be a big uptick in spend. And that it relates immediately to a decrease in MSP popularity. So let's let's be out in front of them now saying, do you see 2024 and 2025 coming? They're going to be bad years. Do we keep stuff a little longer? Do we buy some new stuff early? Do we agree that we're just going to lease all this and finance it when time comes around? Or are you just going to stash money in a piggy bank? And when I come to you to break the piggy bank, are you willing to do that? But when we've had that conversation early and often, and this is why having a regular cadence of meetings with your customer makes sense. um, It just puts you in a better place. And the customer understands this is part of a conversation. It's part of a strategic plan. It's not a sales pitch. I'm not up here with my cup and my dark sunglasses shaking and asking for money. I'm asking them, 
hey, you, you own all this risk of, you know, what 2012 servers that are going to go into life and not be patched. Um, when does it make sense for you to address that? Let's look at the budget and pick that out. I never ask if, I just ask when. Um, and the budget gives you the ability instead of saying, will you please spend money with me, which sounds like my Maserati payments do. Um, <laughs> it gives me the ability just to say, when does it make sense for you to take care of the risk that we're looking at in front of us? And that's a right. whole different conversation with your customer. It doesn't sound gross. Right. It doesn't sound like a sales pitch. And, and I have a slide I carry around with me, and it's the it's a picture of a unicorn with a with a name badge on him, and it says trusted advisor. And MSPs have been trying forever to find this mythical, magical trusted advisor and hire him so that he can go out and, and build these wonderful relationships with their customers. What it's really about is just transparency, right? We're the steward of a bunch of information for our customers, and all we have to do is pack it up in a nice, pretty packet and put it in front of them and let them make business decisions. And that yes. is MSP sales. That nowhere else in the world do you have to do sales and understand your client's risk, build them a budget and a strategic plan, and go through all of this work. So, you know, I used to say nothing's new in sales in 200 years, but the level of risk that's in the MSP space today definitely is new uh, in the sales process. And it changes the way that you have to sell. So if you're still selling with out-of-the-box Sandler training or any of the big box uh, training solutions, they're just not the right thing for your space. And if you're having success, imagine the success you could have if you did it just a little bit differently. Wow. That's well said, Alex. And if I understand what you're saying, it's not just the security or technical risk. There's the financial risk. There's a, there's a lot of different risk in there. Well, and as we, as we talk about technology, right, if we were the CEO, if we were the CIO in the boardroom as part of our customer's team, we'd be having all kinds of risk conversations. Why are we selling a VCIO service that just brings a list of endpoints on a budget, right? Here's the budget for replacing workstations and servers. Here's the here's the asset list, and here's the ones you're going to need to replace and when. If we're actually a CIO, we own the budget for an entire department, for the technology department, which means the cable bill, the cyber liability insurance, the telephone system, the IT asset destruction services, the shred service and all that, cyber liability and, and, and all of that. We need to know when those bills come due. We need to know how much they are. We need to help them review and make sure that they're getting the bang for the buck. Um, that's what a CIO would do. So when we go out and say we're a VCIO um, and then just show them a list of invoices that are going to come from us for the year, we've really failed our customer. Mm. We're not doing the job they hired us to do. I hate the phrase VCIO because I think we've, we've really bastardized the term in our, in our space. and We don't do a good job of it. Um, and then it's just one more of those alphabet soup acronyms that doesn't really mean what it ought to mean. Yeah. I thought it recently had come to mean I get to charge a lot every month because I have a yeah. C-level title. Yep. And, uh, yep. and then set up my team to do more yep. project work. And, and most of us don't even, and most folks aren't even delivering on it. And that's the, that's the painful part is it, it really, yeah, it's a, okay. And I get to have my folks do more project work. It's funny when we talk about it, we try and unpack VCIO versus salesperson. And the VCIO will create sales. It's amazing how many MSPs I talk to who the VCIO has a, has a quota. Mm. Um, imagine this, there's a guy on your board or in your C-level team who an outside entity has tasked with charging you this many dollars this quarter. Would you want that guy on your C-level team? Absolutely not. Would you open the kimono to him and show him how the business runs and how much money there is for him to, to, for him to peel out? So it's a delicate balance. And we don't think about that until mm -hmm. we sit down and do the budgeting process. And then when we sit down and do the budgeting process, we have to realize that um, business impact analysis is part of the, the CIO process. It's not part of the sales process. Business impact analysis should be Mr. Customer, as your CIO, I'm helping you determine whether or not we go out to even buy this product or service, right? Take backups. What is the impact of backups? If we don't have it, what happens? What are the worst case scenarios? How does that impact the bottom dollar? Can we make money? And when right. I come to the conclusion that I can't live without backups, I'm going to go out and procure it, right? Yes. And now I can bring in an account manager who can help me procure the right solution for this. Take something else, you know, whether it be um, email automation, email signature automation, right? We take email signature automation, we do the business email, the business impact analysis on it, and we realize we're solving a 50 cent problem with a $200 solution. The business is going to say this is acceptable risk. We don't want to do that, Mr. VCIO. How about we just scrap that idea, right? And the VCIO tears up that idea and throws it away as long as he's not on a quota. Yeah. 
right? Yeah, so we get it. into these problems where we, we, we haven't necessarily compensated people for the role that we want them to be in. Their compensation kind of flies in the face of the, the relationship they want to have with their customer. Um, a big part of sales is your customer knowing that you're a sales human. And a big part of doing CIO right is your customer knowing that you're not a sales human. Yes, well said. It's like trying to be the auditor of your own uh, either security or finance Right. You well, this is why banks have such a tough struggle, right? Because um, you know they're they're audited from the outside and expected to hold hold themselves to a high standard. But most of them have somebody on the board who's borrowing money from the bank. I mean, it's it's if you really sit down and look at it, it's it's um, incestuous is probably the wrong word, but probably the right word all at the same time. Um, right. And that's why we have outside auditors that come in and look at these MSPs. Don't have outside auditors unless you're uh, you know doing CompTIA's Trustmark certification or, or CMMC or something, but. 99% of MSBs have never been externally audited. Mm-hmm. So right. these practices aren't even brought to light. They haven't even thought about some of these practices. Right. So guys, thanks. We see the likes coming through. Uh, we'll get to his, if you want to comment, we'll get to as many of these as possible. And if you're listening on the replay, we will keep listening. We will leave you instructions on the way to get connected, Alex. Um, so Alex, I want to talk about what's your recommendation if I'm an MSP? How do I, how do I go to market? How do I build a repeatable process how to how do I even get leads how to close them right we've talked about not being the sleazy guy but how do I still have that problem like what, what do I do from there I, I would say your first line to growing your business is your existing client base number one there's products and services you can sell into your existing client base most MSPs could expand their their MRR 30 to 50 percent in their existing client base alone if they just sold all of their products and services across their client base. If you've done a good job of selling through your client base, then account management becomes your next logical jumping off point. If I go sit down with all of my customers, deliver a whiz-bang strategic business review, they love the budget, they have a good experience, they enjoy working with my team, then it's easy for me to sit down and say, hey, you know, this is uncomfortable for me even to ask. But, uh, you know, part of my job is growing my business. And before I came over here, I, I took a look at you on LinkedIn. It looks like you're connected with three or four people over at XYZ Company. I was wondering if you could introduce me to someone over there. They feel like exactly my target prospect. Right? Mm-hmm. And it's a hard thing to ask. And you notice how I did it with, I'm sorry that I even have to ask you this. Mm-hmm. That sets my customer to open their brain up. And then I say, but you know, part of me running this business is trying to grow this business, or even as a salesperson, part of my job is trying to grow this business. But your account manager should be delivering you a steady stream of leads coming out of their business reviews, coming out of these conversations. Um, but the last one I'll say is even easier. Pick up the phone and call every single one of your customers in the next 30 days. And start with this. Mr. Customer, Damien, I'm so sorry. You and I have been working together for, what, a year and a half now? And I just feel like an ass. I've known you for a year and a half and I never even ask you what a good referral looks like for your business. I see a lot of people in my day to day. What's a perfect referral look like to you? I'll be happy to send those folks your way and let him tell you. If he doesn't ask you what a perfect referral looks like for you, you're dealing with an asshole, right? <laughs> I've queued him up like, hey, buddy, here's a softball. Like, I'll send you some business um, right. and then follow through on it. Send him a few leads. The people who you send leads to will send leads back to you. And if you're mm-hmm. not in your community, if you're meeting and, and getting introduced to people and they're not a good fit for your business, knowing who else in your circle they're a good fit for is incredibly valuable because that comes back to you in spades. Well said. And that's such an easy question to ask a customer. There's no commitment. There's no salesy shit. It's, none of it's uncomfortable. Right. Hey, man, I love cool. you. I like what you do over there. Uh, I, love, I love what Servocity is doing. What does a what does a successful lead look like to you? Who are the people who do the best with your products and services? Because I'd love to send them to you. Perfect question. Everybody should be able to ask that, and obviously your clients can answer that really yeah. easily. Yeah, and it doesn't sound dirty, right? So start with those, and then well, what do I do from there? Let's say I've started to do a little bit. I've got some decent ones, but I don't know. When I was an MSP, like you said, eight or ten leads a year. Um, so if I'm doing something. So infrequently, how do I do it better and or how do I get more yeah, well, I leads think, to grow? Yeah, I, I, well, I mean, we talked a little bit about leads and how to pull those together, but how to do it better, that part really falls to documenting your process. And then when you get the opportunity to utilize that process, even, even if it's from the parking lot when you walk out of the sale, sit down and talk about what did I do right and what could I have done better or different? What, like what didn't land? Um, if you can make yourself a keep doing list and a stop doing list, right? Two sides of the same sheet of paper. Um, 
sometimes it's really valuable to do that when it's super fresh in your mind. One of the best sales coaches I ever had said, call me when you leave one of your sales calls and we'll, and we'll have that conversation. And if I don't pick up, have that conversation on my voicemail and I'll listen to it and we'll talk about it later, but I want it to come out of your head when it's super fresh. And when I no longer had a sales coach, I used to do that with my account manager, right? He'd call me when he left QBR. I'd call him when I left a sales call and we just kind of bounce it back and forth. And what did that do? But it taught him how to sell on accident. It also had him hold me accountable. And it did the same for me. It, it allowed me one more way to hold him accountable to see that he was improving. And it taught us both to kind of do each other's job a little better. Nice. What are some of the biggest things you've learned when you've asked those kind of questions? What are the biggest aha moments? Um, the biggest aha moments were sometimes you're going to take a punch in the gut. Sometimes your customers are going to go, you know, this is what I was expecting from you and I just didn't get it. And you have to be strong enough to say, you're right. And I want to deliver better for you. So I'll learn how to do that thing and I'll make sure that we deliver it to you next time. And then you have to follow through. Mm -hmm. right? If you promise to do it and you don't, then when you ask that question next time, you know, hey, how did we do? Um, and I'm a big believer that all of your strategic meetings with your client should end with, how did we do today? Did we deliver mm -hmm. on what you're expecting for? Um, it sets me up for two things. It sets me up for asking for the referral and it sets me up for asking the cadence question. Should we be having these strategic meetings every quarter? Should we be having them twice a year? What does that look like for you? Um, a customer who says, this meeting was awesome. I get to ask, would you like to meet twice a year or quarterly to have these conversations? When they tell me quarterly, guess what? They're going to want to show up. No, no more of this, hey, we don't need to meet because uh, I think I'm good. They saw value in what we were doing. They're going to want to meet with me more often. And it was their idea that we meet quarterly, so they'll expect me to be back next quarter. Um, but also the opportunity for the customer to say to me, uh, or for me to say to the customer, you know, what could we be doing better or different, right? And if we didn't land it, if we didn't kill it, uh, I just get the opportunity to learn. Um, it, it, uh, it, it can really be one of those things where you just learn that your customer had different expectations for the relationship, but it gives you the opportunity to level set um, right out in the open, a lot of transparency. Um, it can be hard sometimes. Uh, sometimes a customer has a, a missing expectation or a misaligned expectation. And you just have to set them straight. Hard to tell. Yeah. So would you say most of your growth came from asking for referrals, asking for asking who their ideal lead is, account management? Uh, it sounds it sounds like, you know, if that's the case, it was a lot more of organic growth than, uh, you know, digital media yeah, or ads or whatever. Yeah. Um, we never did. We did a little bit of cold prospecting and su such like that. But um, we never really had a huge outbound sales force. Um, and it probably limited our growth a little bit. But I think what limited our growth more was having a salesman as a CEO. Um, you know, if you if you really sit back and look at it, uh, my MSP suffered from operational struggles because we had this, um, you know, herding cats mentality as a CEO. Um, mm -hmm. They always say the bottleneck's right at the top of the bottle. And that was certainly me. But yeah, um, but yeah our, I, I, I think that MSPs can grow significantly. Um, keeping that in-house with the referral system and those kind of things, especially if you track and watch the referrals and have expectations for how many you deliver. Um, when we tracked them, um, we got a ton. And as soon as we stopped looking at that number, uh, the number fell off and went to near zero. So, you know, one of the hardest things is that consistency to make sure that you have those conversations over and over, um, that every quarter you're watching the number that every month or every year, you know, you're, you're, you're keeping track of, of all of that. Um, it goes back to the, the classic, like what gets watched gets done. I think it's easy to resonate with as a tech guy or a process guy on the operational side, but you know, sales wise, it's like, ah, sales is, I don't know. I just, you know, I get a lead. I talk to somebody, they don't buy. I don't ask them any questions. It seems like a magical art, no process. So, uh, what get me, what gets, it's just goes back to Drucker, right? Well, it gets, um, yeah monitored gets managed right so yes yeah um, i think that's the, the original version of that yeah what else would you say are the key takeaways if i'm an msp trying to build build my business grow my business well i think you need to look at what your specialty is there's a great book out there called who not how um mm, yeah i just read that recently great fantastic book. book um but also understand that sometimes it's too early to go find your who if you're mm -hmm. sub if you're sub a million or two million dollars um, it would be, uh, it would be a fool's errand to try and go hire and compensate a salesperson 
and expect that that person is going to grow your business with the passion that you have for it. Even if you're technically mm -hmm. inclined, you have to do sales up to, yes. I'm going to say two to $3 million. Um, owner led sales is just what works at that point. Are, are there folks out there who have succeeded doing it other ways? Yes. For the 95%, um, owner led sales up to $2 million, uh, at which point you can start to backfill with the, the individuals who have different skill sets and, and can do the things that you can't, but then you still have to hold them accountable. And the reason that I think owner led sales is so powerful is I can't hold you accountable to something that I don't understand. Mm -hmm. So if I've sold for my business up to a certain point, now I know what good looks like. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So, um, so I think that, uh, um, that's a, that's a wonderful point. If I don't understand sales, it's magical. Every MSP I've spoken with that has tried to just hire this amazing, you know, up and comer, that's going to fix it. Doesn't work. I can't tell you how many MSPs have said to me, I'm not a good sales guy, so I hired one. And I go, great. How are you monitoring him? How are you tracking him? How are you supporting him? Are you giving him mm -hmm. leads? Oh, no, he's, he's an industry expert. He's going to get his own leads. He's going to build his own system. And then he's going to hire and train other people. And right. my bullshit meter just starts going ding, 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 right? He sold you yeah. on his ability to do it, but it's not going to happen. Um, yeah. I want to hire the sales guy who says, Damien, I appreciate the offer and all, but how are you going to support me? What are you That's going right. to do to make sure I'm successful? What does That's your right. lead, gen, lead gen look like? What does your marketing look like? How many leads can I expect from each of those? Because I know if I get 30 leads a month, I'm going to close eight of them, right? Mm -hmm. Managed services, it's tough to close those leads. You're going to get a lot. You're going to burn a lot. So if you're handing a good salesman three leads a month, uh, he has a lot of work to do on his own. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe one every three months, something like that. Um, yeah. If you're giving them that little, but. Yeah. And if you have the leads, that's, uh, I don't know if you've seen this a lot. I've seen the, I only have three leads, but I still expect you to bring in this fortune in, in, in new MRR. And, uh, I'm not going to feed you many leads. So you're somehow going to figure that out. Yeah. And, and, and there are those unicorns out there who will, um, who will figure it out. Right. There, there are those guys, there are, there are those guys who can go out and do the full scale, like, um, top of the funnel down, create their own leads, do their own marketing trade shows, visit, um, you know, uh, uh, what do you call them? Uh, um, contract chamber of commerce and all that kind of stuff. Right. There are yeah. those guys. They are unicorns, right? They're unicorn hunting is not uh, historically been a successful practice. Um, it's one of these things where you're much better served to learn how folks do it right. Even as an owner, continue to close the leads up into two, two and a half, $3 million. And when you're ready to hire someone, hire sales support, hire someone to do the, the prospecting, the lead gen, the cold calling, the set carry everything through to the, to at least the data collection steps where you can go out and meet with the prospect. Um, it's one of those things where I think we're all too eager to give it away to somebody else. And mm -hmm. we don't even know how to hold ourselves or our organization accountable to deliver on sales. And we've already tried to hand it off to three people. Yeah. Well said, Alex. I know I could spend all day talking, but I know we don't have that much time. Any parting thoughts of wisdom from somebody that has built a successful MSP and spent 20 years in the trenches to somebody that has built a successful uh, SaaS company selling to MSPs and recently yeah. exited? Yeah. Two exits in two and a half years. And I, somewhere I blinked in the middle and it was all over. I don't really know. It, <laughs> uh, it, was, it was unreal when somebody said that number to me and I went, holy crap. Um, right. All I'm going to say is, um, you have to be passionate about what you're doing. Um, everybody asks me if selling the MSP was the right thing. And it absolutely was because I wasn't passionate about it anymore. Um, mm. I'm super passionate about solving the sales and marketing problem or the sales and, and account management problem that exists in the MSP space. Um, and I'm having fun again. Um, if you're, if you're stuck in, in limbo and trying to figure out why you're not having fun anymore, you need to go dig to the bottom of that problem because I spent a year or two in, in limbo at my MSP trying to figure out whether it was really the right thing for me and whether I needed a coach to help knock some of the head trash out of my brain or whether I needed to sell the company two years earlier. I don't know. But, um, but two of the toughest years of my life were, were the end of the MSP, just trying to figure out, uh, scared of, the, scared of the, uh, the security stuff and the cyber stuff that was changing um, and just not feeling invested enough to want to dig in and learn it all. Um, it's a bad time for me to be a, to be a C MSP CEO. Um, this world's getting scary. Um, I want to think that MSPs have a place to, to learn and get better and, and improve their business. Um, if you don't feel like you have that place, 
there are so many communities out there, a lot of them that I didn't find until I left my MSP because I was so head down working on the things that I work on uh, or that MSPs work on. Uh, my closing part would be like, if you're having struggles, somebody else out there has had that problem and don't be afraid mm-hmm. to go out and engage in the community. If you don't know who the right person is, come find me on LinkedIn. Happy to introduce you to a bunch of the communities that I've met since. If you have sales mm-hmm. questions, we'll have conversations about sales. It's not about selling you a product or a service. Um, happy to just have an open conversation with MSP who's in a tough spot and struggling or who needs some sales coaching or guidance. Um, you know, happy to have all those conversations. This is a community and having just come back from MSP GeekCon um, and seeing hundreds of engineers in one place and, um, and watching the community grow, freaking amazing. It was just amazing to see this community come together and kind of lift everybody up together. So, yeah, uh, I'd say even if you're at the top and a solo CEO and, and things are frustrating, there's somebody out there with your struggle. They're out in the community and you probably should be connected to them. Yeah, we're struggling. So we're happy to help anybody, any, you know, because if you've been through it, you're happy to help. If you're struggling, you're happy just to find somebody else that's struggling and you can still help each other, even if you don't have the answers. And, and you get enough of those people together and they come up with the answers, right? None of us had it that's nailed right. at first. Mm-hmm. Um, account management at my MSP was a much bigger struggle than it is with the tool we've built today. Because we spent mm-hmm. four years building a tool and, and spending 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week, 60 hours a week, I don't know, a lot, uh, focused on this one problem. And you get better at this thing when all of a sudden everything else is lifted off your plate and you can really focus on that one problem. Somebody's out there head down focused on your problem, the thing that's bothering you today. And somewhere in the community, you can find that human and they will help you out. Yes. Well, Alex, this has been an amazing show. Thank you so much. Uh, How should everybody get connected to you? LinkedIn is probably the best place to find me. Um, Okay. It's pretty, pretty easy. There aren't a lot of Alex Farlings in this world. So if you search on LinkedIn, um, mine pops right to the top. Awesome. Well, thank you for that. We'll make sure to leave links to get connected to you, Alex. This has been an amazing show. Guys, I appreciate your time today on MSP Mindset. If you're interested in finding out anything or finding out about upcoming shows, go to mspmindset.com slash news. You can find us and follow us on all the socials, email, etc. We've got some amazing guests coming up. Thank you so much for your time, Alex. We will get Alex connected. So the best way to to answer your questions, just drop us a note over at MSP Mindset and we'll be happy to connect you to Alex or anybody else that we've got on here. I look forward to seeing you guys back live in two weeks. <laughs>